Good morning, Boker Tov. A good winter to everybody. Hope everybody had a beautiful Yom Naram and a wonderful Sukkot. Reinvigorating, elevating, exciting, healthy and safe. And it's good to be back to resume our study of the Parsha. And what better place to begin than the very beginning with Sefer Bracious and with Parsha's Bracious. So thanks for being back together with us for our Parsha Perspectives for today on Parsha's Bracious. I want to thank our generous sponsors, my dear friends Becky and Avi Katz, who've sponsored in memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Lila Nishmas, David Ben Menachem Manish. Thank you so much. And this morning's class in particular as well, sponsored by Dr. Gordon and Yonina Haas, in memory of his mother, Rose Haas, Rus Bas Yaakov, as it was yesterday, and for Joel and Sally Flamholtz in honor of their 53rd wedding anniversary by their children and grandchildren. Should have a very happy anniversary and many, many more to come. Okay, we begin with, as I said, Sefer Bracious and Parshas Bracious. We go back to the beginning, the story of creation, and it's very significant. You know, the Shabbos is called Shabbos Bracious. We don't have Shabbos Noach and Shabbos Lech Lecha and Shabbos Vayera. We have Shabbos Bracious because the Shabbos Bracious represents not only the name of the Parsha that we read, Bereshus represents our avoda, the bechina, what we're working on, what we're doing, the energy, the invitation and the opportunity to start again, the invitation and the opportunity for new beginnings and for a and for a fresh start. The most famous Rashi, perhaps in the Torah, is the opening Rashi. So we're on page two in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You know, teaching on Parshas Bereshus is very, very difficult. Many or most years, we don't get to do it because of the way Simchas Torah falls and Bereshus and the Parsha class, it often never falls. Bereshus is huge and it's filled and packed with so much opportunity and invitation to dissect it, to be elevated, to apply its messages to today. It's very, very hard to be mitzamtzim, to hold back and to choose what to focus on. Bereshus Baralokim, in the beginning God created, or... God created the very beginning. The very first act of creation was, in fact, the beginning. He created the heaven and the earth. And Rashi famously says, Where should the Torah have begun from? The Torah should have started from The Torah should have begun from the very first mitzvah. If, in fact, the Torah is a legal book and a legal document, it is our constitution and our bylaws. So start with the very first mitzvah. Mitzvah number one out of 613. Why do we start with this whole history of the world? First, God created six days of creation. And then... So the most famous Rashi in the Torah tells us, why does the Torah not start? Why does it not start this legal code or document with the first mitzvah? And the answer is to teach a very powerful and critically important lesson. That later in life, later in the development of the unfolding of Jewish history and destiny, there will be nations of the world who will challenge Jewish ownership and Jewish sovereignty over our land. It has happened since the very existence and the formation of the Jewish people, and it can and does and will continue to happen, even though just yesterday there was more evidence found, not that we need it, tying Jews to our eternal homeland going back since our very inception. So Rashi quotes his Rebbe, Rabbi Yitzchak, who taught that the reason the Torah begins from creation rather than for the first mitzvah is to establish firmly and forever Jewish ownership over the land, that God created the whole world. And as the creator and owner of the entire world, he was entitled to allocate and gift parts of that world, including the land of Israel. And he gave that land of Israel to his children, to the Jewish people. Now, there's a lot of questions you can ask. Number one, do you think Hamas and the Palestinians are detractors and our adversaries are learning the opening Rashi on the Torah? To whom is that statement, is that teaching directed? Are our enemies and detractors who think, it doesn't belong to the Jewish people, it belongs to us. They stole it, they're occupying it. Uh, Rashi. So they say, oh, oh, Rashi says that. Enjoy, never mind, it's yours. So to whom is this Rashi directed, number one? But much more over. The problem is, that explains the story of creation. That explains and justifies the opening parak, the opening psukim of the Torah. 
What about the rest of Sefer Bereshus? What do I need? The stories of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. Why do I need the entire Sefer Bereshus? All the stories and all the narratives, and ultimately our descent into slavery in Egypt. What's it there for? Why do I need it? Wonders the Ramban. The Nesiva Shalom Aslanam Rebbe, and I say this by way of introduction to our study of not only Parshas Bereshus, but Sefer Bereshus, the Nesiva Shalom explains, I think, very, very importantly, very powerfully, that the land, Eretz Yisrael, which is inherently and intrinsically sacred, it's Kadosh, it's holy, could only be given to those whose character was in harmony with Torah and the land. The land has character. Unlike every other soil and every other earth and other, other portion of land everywhere else, the land of Israel has character, it has virtue. It senses the people who inhabit it. And it could only be given and gifted, inhabited and resided in by those whose character is in harmony with Torah and with the value and virtue of the land. Am Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael, Torah Yisrael, they go together. These traits are not contained in any one mitzvah of the Torah. Indeed, we don't have mitzvahs to have good character traits. There's not one of the Tariag that says, Derech Eretz. There's not one of the Tariag that says, No Ka'as. There's not one of the Tariag that tells us that we have to have good midos. It's not contained. And yet, Rav Chaim Vital, the great student of the Ari, explains that midos are the underlying foundation of every mitzvah. That the purpose, the goal of the mitzvah is a platform for how to cultivate our midos, to become better, more refined people, to be able to be the best version of ourselves, to realize our very purpose and our mission of why we are here. Derech Eretz, Kadma La Torah. So all of Sefer Bereshus is to establish. One-fifth of the Torah is to remind us. Before we ever qualify to receive the Torah, before we arrive at the narrative of the giving of the Torah, we have to firmly establish the notion of our character traits, of our midos, of who we are and how we behave, of the impression that we leave on the world, of the way in which we interact with the rest of the world, that we are here to be we pledge and we promise in Kedusha every day, God, I'm going to sanctify your name, my attitude towards science and medicine, my concern for keeping myself and those around me safe, my responsibility and obligation to follow the laws and the rules. I am here to sanctify your name. And before I can ever get up to a story of receiving the Torah, before I can ever become a covenantal community and a nation charged with living Torah, and I have an entire Sefer Bracious, not only to teach me that God created the world and He also gave us the land of Israel, we have nothing to be defensive about, we have nothing to be apologetic for, it is our land that has been since the creation of the world. God gave it to us. Maybe it's not directed as teaching of Rabbi Yitzchak to the non-Jewish nations of the world. Maybe we Jews need to hear that in order to overcome their, this hesitancy, this sense of being apologetic or defensive. It's our land. There's nothing to apologize for. Yes, we need diplomacy. And yes, we should have peace with our neighbors. And yes, we should invite those who are willing to live peacefully with us to be with us. But there's nothing to be apologetic for. So that represents the opening, the creation. But the rest of Sefer Bracious is there to remind us that Derech Eretz that land is special. The reason God allocated it to us is not to live as some secular entity in it, nor to live observing Torah but lacking Derech Eretz in it. We need to be a model for the world. The whole goal and purpose of that land was to realize the integration of Am Yitzrael, Eretz Yisrael, and Torah Yisrael, to be a beacon of light from there to the rest of the world, to be a model how to behave, how to be compliant, how to live safely, how to sanctify Hashem's name, how to be able to have Midos Tovos. The Gemara Navarazar, Davchafei, tells us that Sefer Bracious is in fact called Sefer Hayashar. What does it mean, Sefer Hayashar? the book of the straight, those who are on the straight and narrow. Then Tziv explains in his introduction to Sefer Bracious, it's called the Sefer Hayashar because the Avos and Imahos are matriarchs and patriarchs. They practice chesed even to those who were despicable to them. Our matriarchs and patriarchs, they lived among pagans. They lived among idolaters. They lived among morally bankrupt and corrupt society and people. But they didn't hesitate to nevertheless show them chesed, and to have midos tovos, and to realize that derech precedes Torah. We who live in a much more civilized society, all the more so we have a responsibility and obligation 
to practice and to live Derech Eretz. Sefer HaYashar. We need to be Yashar, be Yashar in the way we conduct ourselves and who we are and how we behave. And all of that precedes Torah. That doesn't mean to suggest, and I want to be unequivocally clear, that doesn't mean to suggest, well, as long as you're honest and have integrity, and as long as you're a kind and good person, then observing Torah is not so important. Observing Torah is non-negotiable. We are bound and obligated, and there are consequences if we neglect. Observing Torah for us is non-negotiable. Let me be clear. But nevertheless, we have to continue to know and to live and to model and to emphasize to the next generation that Derech Heretz, Kadmala Torah. Sefer Bereshis, Kadmala Har Sinai. That all of the book of Bereshis is Sefer HaYashar. How we can live as uh, a sense of Yashus, as Yoshrim, before we even move on to receiving the Torah. Okay, all of that is by way of introduction to our wonderful book of Sefer Bereshis. And now let's dive in. We begin, of course, with the story of creation. Story of creation. Each and every week we observe Shabbos, and with our observance of Shabbos, we pay testimony. We testify to Hashem as the creator of the world, that Hashem is the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe. Perak Aleph, Pasuk Let's skip to Pasuk Hei. He creates the first day, heaven and earth. What's the very first creation? Many mistakenly think Shamayim. It's the first thing mentioned. First creation is Shamayim. Heaven, Va'aretz, and earth. Eh, wrong mistake. The very first creation is Bereshis. Bereshis bara. The very first creation is Bereshis. He created the beginning. The very first creation is time. A beginning, a middle, and an end. God, who is omnipotent, immortal. God, who is perfect. God, who is infinite. There is no beginning, middle, of an end. For God, all of time is simultaneously, he transcends, he's operating outside of time. So the very first thing he created, even before the physical material universe, the very first creation is, Bereshiz bara. He created the beginning. That's very important for us to understand that we are subject to time, God is not. He creates heaven and earth, it's tohu vavohu, Medrash references the different um, states and stages of Golos that we've lived in are already predicted here. And Ruach God says, let there be light. There's light. He calls the light good. He distinguishes between the light and the dark. He calls the light day and the dark he calls night. It is evening and it is morning. Yom Echad, it is one day. It's a beautiful comment. Chasidish comment by Reb Zev of Strikov who says the following, says the tzaddik, Erev, nighttime, the cloak of darkness, a person's in a dark place, a person is subject to darkness, a person is cast into the darkness, a person is struggling and suffering and challenged, all of that is described as darkness. Light, illumination, a fresh beginning, stepping into the light. Light is described as redemption. Light is described as salvation. How do we go from a state of Erev to Boker? How do we go from living in a place of it is dark to Vayihi Boker? To stepping into the light, to experiencing redemption, a better time and a better place, a better reality. The answer he says is, Yom Echad, Ayyidei Achtos, Shiyashorem Benayim. Yom Echad, when we have a day where we are united, when we arrive at the Yom Echad, when we arrive at the day that we are united, that we come together, that there's peace, that there's harmony, that we live together, that's when we go from Vahi Erev to a state of Erev of night to Vahi Boker. Again, not the Pashup Shat, it's a beautiful Hasid Shatayra. And this is hinted to in the Brach we say of Yotzer Or, Osa Shalom. When you have peace, it's shakol kenegalakol. So yom echad, when we can get to that day, maybe it'll be the day after the election, maybe it'll be someday in the future, when we can set aside legitimate differences and disagreements, find a way to overcome the divisiveness, focus on how much, which is the majority that we have in common, and when we can get to a place of yom echad, we get to a place of being united, not uniform, not uniform, but united, when we get to the Yom Echad, that's how we get from the Vayihi Erev to a place of Vayihi Boker. Rabbi Salavechik also has a comment on this Pasuk. Says the Rav, Vayihi Boker. Evening is referred to as Erev. It denotes Irbuvia. Irbuvia is confusion. 
Man often gropes in the darkness, sensing that his spiritual light has been extinguished. This verse assures him that this corruption and confusion is not indefinite, that Erev cannot categorize the entirety of the human personality and experience. While darkness may temporarily infiltrate the individual, a minute spark, the bokeh, remains pure and incorruptible. The Medrash presents a view. The Yom Echad is a reference. Which day on the Jewish calendar, even in Gullus, do we not have two days? Two days of the beginning of Sukkot, two days the end of Sukkot, two days the beginning of Pesach, two days the end of Pesach, two days of Shavuos. Which day is Yom Echad? Is a reference to Yom Kippur. The message is that without Yom Kippur, a day of renewed commitment to God, the world itself would not have been created. There is a spark of the divine in man that is inextinguishable. And through the spark, mankind will ultimately accept his will. When we are in that dark place, we need to know, we need to have confidence, we need to have faith that we're going to yet come to a place of we will come to a place of and it is morning. It's not if, it is a question of when. And what an important message for us, for we who are in this deep, dark state of this, of this pandemic that we desperately want to end. I mentioned on uh, Yantif that my young son asked me, Abba, when is Corona over? As if we can look at the calendar, the schedule, and there's a date when we know it will be over. We feel the very same way. When will it be over? We have to, the longer we live in it, the more it feels like this is a new reality which is permanent. But we have to realize that even though it's a Vayhi Erev, it's Erbuvia, this chaos, this confusion, we're living in a world where things are upside down. We don't, what we thought we knew yesterday is not true today. We're in a place in a state of Erbuvia. It's Vayhi Erev. Rest assured, there'll be a Vayhi Boker. There will be a light. There will be a tomorrow. We will turn a corner. We'll come back to seeing the light. We will experience a redemption. We're going back to a world of the way that we knew it. Torah then goes on, when it talks about creation, we go through all the days. I wish we had time to examine, explore all the days. But we move on to Perak Aleph Pasuk Chav Zayin. We come to what is the culmination or climax of creation, which is the reason it's all there. The Gemara Sanhedrin, Mishnah tells us that a Jew, a person should say, everyone should say, Bishvili Nivra Olam. The whole world, all the previous six days, heaven and earth and everything in it were created, Bishvili, for me if not the billions of people alive or the billions of people cumulatively through history, if all that was created ever was just me, bishvili nivra olam. Not an arrogant, egotistical way, but in a sense of obligation, responsibility. Bishvili, for me to take responsibility for this world and to repair this world and to watch over and safeguard this world. Bishvili, for me to fulfill my mission, this whole world was created. Man is the pinnacle and the culmination, the climax of all of creation, the essence of why the world is created, which is why we just observed Rosh Hashanah corresponding with not the first day of creation, but rather, Rosh Hashanah corresponds with the sixth day of creation, because that is the whole purpose, that is the whole essence. Now the Torah describes, God created man in his image, following the Tzalem, the image, there's a piece of God, inside us. He fashioned us from the earth, he collected the soil, the ground, the earth, in order to make us a little golem. But what gave us life? What animated us into a dynamic, vibrant, alive being? He breathed life into us. He took a breath into himself, he blew it into us, and we became alive. And when he put a piece of himself in us, he gave us, so to say, his DNA, we became alive. There's a fundamental machlokas between the Rishonim, the Ramban, the Rambam, and others, whether God took a piece of himself and put it in us, or his light emanated from him into us. With Nafkaminas, did we exist since the beginning, or is we finite and we came into it? In other words, if his light emanated into us and we're an extension of him, then we are him and we've existed since he's existed, which is forever. Or was there a moment in which he placed a piece of himself into us, in which case there is a finite and point of time in which we in which we began complicated Kabbalistic above my pay grade and capability and not for now. But what I want to share with you is that the pasuk when it relays the way in which we are created, the pasuk specifically does so and says zachar unikeva braam that we were created both zachar and nikeva. We were created in the same uh, in the same way. What does that mean? 
Torah then goes on to tell us that Chava seemingly was extracted from Adam, and many mistakenly subscribe to the misconception that Adam, man, was created as man, and then Chava, woman, was extracted. Her rib formed from man and is the final act of creation. But if you look at the Pasuk, that's not what it says. What the Pasuk says is an androgynous figure was created that was half man and half woman, and then split in two. What is the meaning of this juxtaposition of the reference to the image of Hashem at the creation of man as Zachar Unikeva, wonders the Rav. Ask Rabbi Salavechik, why Betzelem Elokim, were in the image of God, Zachar Unikeva Abraham. What do you mean? God is united. He's Hashem Echad. God is singular. So what does it mean in the very same context that we are B'Tselem Elokim, we're in His image, but also specifically juxtaposing Zachar Unikeva. So listen to what the Rav says. Very important, I think, especially in our time. In interpreting the phrase, male and female, he created them, Chazal explained that when God initially creates Adam, he created him in a dual form. See Rashi here. Male and female in this context are being taken not only in a, psych- in a physiological sense, but also in a spiritual, metaphysical one. Every soul consists of a spiritual androgyny, a male and female persona. The combination of these elements is known in rabbinic literature as Duchra Venukva, which can be found in every individual. Duchra refers to dynamic, active man, while Nukva refers to effective, passive man. Man both influences and is influenced, both giver and receiver. Only in the biological world is man exclusively male or female. In the spiritual world, every individual carries both traits, and only through the development of both the Duchra and the Nukva perspectives can individuals attain their full spiritual potential. Now, there are several points that Rabbi Salavechik is making that he made many years ago. Let's see. His teaching comes from Droshas Harav. So it's from many, many years ago. And the Rav is making several simultaneous points, some of which are very politically correct, and some may seemingly be politically incorrect in our time. Number one is that masculinity and femininity are not accidental. Masculinity and femininity are critical um, components of the world in which we live. That Kaddish Baruch the Ribbonu Shalom, with his infinite wisdom, created a world with both components. And the degree to which we deny the differences of masculinity and femininity, the degree to which we blur or blend masculinity and femininity, the de- degree to which we um, fail to preserve the boundaries of masculinity or fem- femininity, we are violating creation itself. This world, and now is not the time, but it exists not only in the human realm, it exists in the animal kingdom, it even exists in the world of vegetation. There are masculinity and femininity in the world of vegetation, and every form of creation, science confirms, there are these traits or attributes, there are these components and notions of masculinity and femininity. And we are responsible to preserve them and to protect them, to establish boundaries around them, and to realize that the degree to which we violate impersonate, um, pretend, or blur, we are doing a disservice to a world which in order to have an equilibrium and balance needs both. I'm not elaborating what are masculine and feminine traits for now. I'll let you decide. Um, But we need to protect a world that has both. That might be politically incorrect. It's hard to believe that there would ever be a time that that statement would be politically incorrect. And yet, in many places, I would be shunned, and maybe I still will be if this gets out there. The part that is political correct, that's important that the Rav says is, while on the physical realm, one has anatomy and chromosomes, and they tell us who we are, in the spiritual metaphysical realm, gender is not binary. In the spiritual metaphysical realm, gender is not binary, And it's not that there is a spectrum, but spiritually we have components of both masculinity and femininity. We have both duchra venukva. We are both giver and receiver. We both influence and are influenced. And here he elaborates. For example, when a teacher instructs his students, he is the giver, the male, the duchra, while his students who absorb his ideas are the female, the nukva. At one point in the lesson, however, a perceptive student may ask a particularly incisive question that leads the thoughts of the teacher in new directions. Indeed, Rabbi Hanina exclaimed, I've learned from my students more than from anyone else. Gemara Tainis Dav At this juncture, the Dukhra Nukva roles are reversed. The student has planted a seed that blooms into a beautiful flower within the mind of the teacher. A young student with eager eyes and an inquisitive expression becomes a Dukhra, while the teacher with the gray beard 
And the august title of Harav is transformed into the Nukva. Who is the giver and who is the receiver? Who is influences and who is influenced? As undeveloped as one's intellect may be, no one is exclusively a student. And as great as a person may be intellectually, no one is exclusively a teacher. Right? What do we call a rabbi, a scholar? A Talmud Chacham. Not just a Chacham. A Talmud Chacham. The blessing that Hashem bestows on man during creation operates in both the spiritual and metaphysical realm as well as the physical realm. Actualizing the potential of Dukhra and Nukva is the greatest and most exalted of blessings. A person must actualize his Nukva blessing to absorb spiritual wealth and beauty. Concurrently, he must actualize his Dukhra blessing by using his spiritual energies to give to others. The student who lacks a teacher, although born with great potential, cannot realize his potential as a Nukva. Similarly, sometimes a great teacher can lack students to absorb his wisdom. He cannot develop his potential as a Dukhra. One's spiritual personality is necessarily dependent on the other in order to develop an elevated level of self-actualization. In marriage, in relationships, there is the male, the female, there is the, even anatomically, the giver, the receiver, but spiritually and metaphysically, there is a duality and a dance. There's this shifting and changing role, sometimes the duchra, sometimes the nukva. It's not a binary spiritual metaphysical um, existence, but it's something which can change. And I thought that that was a very, very fascinating, particularly contemporary insight of Rabbi Soloveitchik on this role of masculinity and femininity, and why, in the very same Pasuk, we contrast Tselem Elohim, created both in the image of God, Tselem Elohim, but also Zachar Unikeva Braam, not coincidentally, and very importantly, Zachar Unikeva Braam. Okay, moving right along. Now we get to the seventh day. And here we have a somewhat confusing comment, or Pasuk, because the Torah testifies, we say this, we're very familiar with this, davening and kiddush. God finished his work and he rested. And he sanctified that seventh day and he made it holy. And why did he do so? Because he rested. And we emulate, we imitate God. We too rest from our work. Earlier God had said, go conquer the world. Go out there and conquer the whole world. And now God says, set aside your conquest, stop manipulating, controlling the world, be at peace and harmony with the world. What I want to call your attention to, what jumps out from a Pasuk here is, When did God rest? When did he complete his work? You can't answer me, so I'll answer for you. When did God complete his work? I would have thought, when did God complete his work? He completed it at the end of the sixth day. He finished working at the end of the sixth day, and the seventh day now commences, begins his state of being at rest. But do you notice, that's not what the Pasuk says. Look at the Pasuk carefully. And remember, we say this in our Kiddush, you should be very familiar with it. When When does he conclude? When is he done with his work? So the Pasuk makes me feel a little bit better because I work on Shabbos. But it sounds like God worked on Shabbos. When did he finish working? On Shabbos. The Pasuk sounds an awful lot like God works on Shabbos. Very much flying in the face of everything we thought we knew about when he finished working and when he rests. So look at Rashi. Zok the Rashi. Pasuk Beis. Rashi is clearly bothered by this question. Whenever Rashi comments, he's clearly responding to and bothered by a question. So what does Rashi say? Rashi says, in the name of Rabbi Shimon, that we men who are finite, me, generic man, we generic men who are finite, so we struggle to be able to identify exactly the moment and point of transition from Friday into Shabbos. Exactly that moment of the sunset, of Shabbos beginning. So we can't take any risks. We take Shabbos on a little bit earlier. In fact, we have a mitzvah, the Mishnabura Paskin's Doraisa, it's Machlokas Rishonim, called Tosefa Shabbos. We don't wait for Shabbos to descend on us. <coughs> we welcome and greet Shabbos. We add on to Shabbos with what we call Tosefa Shabbos. This is the custom, universally, that women light candles 18 minutes before Shkia, before sunset. Tosefa Shabbos. In Yerushalayim, even earlier than that, men should 
be mindful to daven mincha early enough that we accept and welcome Shabbos even before Shabbos, uh, Shabbos falls on us. We have a mitzvah called Tosef Shabbos. But says Rashi, the Ribbon Shalom, the Almighty, <coughs> who's perfect and omnipotent, who sees all and knows all, he's able to calculate exactly when Shabbos begins. So the Pasuk is articulated as, when did he stop doing work on the seventh day? It means exactly punct when the seventh day began, that's when he stopped doing work. Not to suggest he worked on Shabbos, but to tell us how accurate and how calculated Hashem is in contrast to us who need Tosefa Shabbos to start a little bit earlier. That's Rashi's understanding. That's Rashi's understanding. The Imre Chaim has a different understanding. The Imre Chaim has a different understanding. We're going to come back to Rashi's second interpretation in a moment. The Imre Chaim, our first Vizhnitzer of the new year, the Imre Chaim says, Vayevarech, Miloshon Havracha. Any farmers or landscapers, any gardeners here? To be Mavrich, the verb to be Mavrich in Hebrew means to blend, to make a hybrid, to graft one thing onto another, is to be Mavrich. He says the word Vayivarech comes from the word to graft, to blend together. Vayivarech Miloshon Havracha, Hashem Yisbarach Kiviyachal, Mavrich Atzmo Bayom Ashvi'i, Says the Imre Chaim. We have a concept the Gemara Beitza tells us. We've been studying this together on Friday afternoons in our Turn Friday into Erev Shabbos. Everyone's invited and welcome to join us 5.30 on Friday's Turn Friday into Erev Shabbos. We've been studying several interpretations of what does it mean, the Gemara Beitza, that when Shabbos begins, we get a Neshama Yaseira. We are endowed with an expanded soul, a broader soul, a neshama yaseira, an extra soul. Says the Imre Chaim, you know where our extra soul comes from? Because all week long, there's us, there's God, us, God, my interests, my physical, material pleasures, my distractions, temptations, the animal in me, there's God. I'm struggling, I'm trying, I'm trying to blend, I'm trying to blend, but I'm struggling. Come Shabbos, Vayevarach Elokim es Yom HaShvi'i. On the seventh day, he's Mavrich. On the seventh day, he creates Havracha. We're able to graft ourselves together with him. We have an Hashem Yisera. My soul is no longer competing. My soul is no longer fighting. My soul is no longer struggling. I disconnect from this world. I turn off my phone and the news and the data and the sports. I turn off the politics. I disconnect from this world. I reconnect to what matters. And God blessed, and what He blessed it with is that on that seventh day, we're able to be mavrich, we can graft ourselves to Him, we can connect in that most beautiful and profound way. That's what it means. That is the Heliga Vizhnitzer Rebbe. Rashi, though, offered a second interpretation. Back to Rashi. Says Rashi, what does it mean that God worked on the seventh day? And here is a really important and beautiful point about Shabbos. Zokterashi, Dovracher, Mahaya Ulam Chaser, what was the world missing? Six days, the omnipotent, infinite, perfect being created the perfect world. He created a world with everything in it. Now, he left work for us to do. He invited us to be his partner in completing it, but he created a world. It was done. So, Mahaya Ulam Chaser, what was missing? What was missing? And the answer is Menucha. Basa Shabbos, Basa Menucha. Calls of Enigma Rahamalacha. He finished doing his work because what was the last act of work he had to do? Something he could only do on Shabbos. Namely, he introduced, had to introduce the world to the concept of Menucha. Now, what is the deeper meaning of this Rashi? Listen carefully. What is Menucha? What is rest? If you would have asked me before this Rashi, I would have said, you know what rest is? Rest is the absence of work, the cessation of work. When you stop working, you are at rest. That's what I would have said rest is. Rest is when you stop working. But you see from Rashi, He finished his work. And what was the last act of work? What is the last creation God did? The last act of creation is He created rest. He created rest. Rest itself is not the absence or cessation of work. Rest is a creation. Rest is a creation. He created Menucha. We need to think of Menucha 
Not as, you know, I, I drink a little wine and I pass that on the couch, and that's Menucha. Menucha Shabbos, the goal, the purpose of Shabbos, and Shabbos is Tachlis Masa Barishas. I don't rest on Shabbos so I can get back to work. I work all week long so I can enjoy and celebrate and experience Shabbos. Shabbos is Menucha. Basa Shabbos, Basa Menucha. That is the purpose, that is the goal, that is the essence. That's what I'm in it for. That's what it's really, that's what it's really all about. So Menucha is not the absence of work. Menucha is a creation, indeed the last and final creation of Hashem. Says Rabbi Salavechik about Menucha. Sorry, sorry. Just have to find this comment. Vayichal alokim, says Rabbi Salavechik, means that God finished his work, though the world remained incomplete. When Hashem created the earth from Tov Avohu, he did not replace the chaos entirely. Some of this primordial entropy was allowed to remain, so that man, through his own effort, could strive to eliminate it. A malik represents the leftover chaos identified with chait, which remained behind, so man himself could actively play a role in destroying it. Man was given the great assignment of completing creation. Vaychal Elokim. He created, but he didn't fully complete. Vaychal. He completed, but not entirely. He invited us to be his partner in that completion. He left some aspects of tohu vavohu. Amalek represent that chaos. Immorality, corruption in the world represent that chaos. As we spoke about the Sefer HaYashar, we have a mission, the Kadesh Hashem Chabarabim. We are here to organize that chaos. We are here to be the Sefer HaYashar, to straighten that which is crooked. We are here to bring down Hashem's name and to bring everyone closer to Him. He has invited us to be His partner in that. We'll come back to that in one moment. From all the work that God did. Bessalavitcher points out that for the Greeks, the Greeks considered physical work as undignified. The aristocratic class would indulge only in mental exercises, engaging in symposia, dialectics, and philosophy. To us, malacha is not a necessary evil. Malacha, work, is not a concession. Work is a holy, sacred activity. We don't work because without it we'd have no food. We work because that is the way the kivshua, we conquer the world. So work is not a concession, and work is not a necessary evil. Kodesh Baruch Hu didn't have to work, and yet the Torah describes his creativity as work in order to teach us that when we express that creativity, that's work. Work is not a concession. Work is not a necessary evil. Work is a holy and sacred activity. That is why we are here. We are here in this world to work. So we mentioned by Elokim that God completed creation, but he invited us to be his partner. And we see that elsewhere as, as well. We have a Pasuk that tells us, Pasuk tells us, Pasuk Havav, when it's described in creation, going back, God creates man. God says, let us, let us create man. Us? Who's the us? Who's we, Kimasabi? Baruch Hu is infinite, perfect, the source of all, he pre-exists, anything exists before time and will exist after time. To whom is he referring when he says, Na'aseh, let us create man together. So the Ramban writes, the Ramban that Pasig writes, Omar ba'adam na'aseh, kloma ani v'ha'aretz hanizkeres na'aseh adam. Says the Ramban, together, me and the land. That's why the Pasig says, na'aseh adam, he's referring to the land that he had created. And all of this creation where is he going to take the earth from? He's going to draw that earth from the ground. And therefore he says, let me take the earth of the ground and fashion it into the person. So together we will, together we will create man. Naase Adam. Naase Adam says the Ramban. The Radak, Rav David Kimchi, has a different pshat. Says Rav David Kimchi, Lodia shekon nivrai mata nivru ba'avura v'shamo adon akulon. What it means, Nasa Adam, Lamalas Adam Lachvoda Bara Bachrona, Shakol Nivroi Mata Nivru Bavuro, Nasa. Everything that was created before is created to serve man. So God turns to all that He had already created and said, Nu, all of you, everything I'm already done with, Nasa. Collectively, together, the existence, the purpose of all of you is to join me. Together now, let's create man, Nasa, together. The Archaim Akadosh. 
Rechaim ben Atar, Pasach Avav, saying Pasach has a different interpretation. Listen to Rechaim. He says, Ki midosa shal HaKadosh Baruch Hu Rabbim him, Yud Gimel midos rachamim, V'shem Elokim shu midos adin, Hiskimu yachad livra osam. God was not talking to anyone else when he said Naaseh. He was talking to himself. Now the Rebona Shalom does not have a split personality. Almighty does not suffer from schizophrenia. But we describe Hashem as having 13 attributes of loving kindness. Yud Gimel Midos of Rachamim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu consulted with and employed all Yud Gimel Midos, all 13 complementing attributes, when he concluded, let me make man. That's the second interpretation of the Orachayim. He has another interpretation. He says, Naaseh, ki hum makor ha'anav al-azad dibar ablashan rabim, ki ken yadabir yachid ha'anav. This is the use of the royal we. Of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is all that exists, the source of all. It makes no sense to describe Naaseh, let us, as if talking about others. But Naaseh says the Orachayim means the royal we. It's a reflection and it's an expression of humility to say Naaseh, to say we. It's a beautiful interpretation of Rav Hirsch, but we don't have time for it all. I want to get to Rashi. Because Rashi says, Naaseh, that Rashi says, Torah is teaching us a fundamental lesson. Even a great person should consult with and seek the opinion of those who are less great. Hashem was teaching, again, the same theme that we're emphasizing all morning, Derecheretz and humility. Sefer Hayashar. Derecheretz is... Maybe you have a higher IQ. Maybe you have more life experience. Maybe you have more wisdom. But the Derech Eretz is to turn to and consult with those who are less great around you. Now these lessons, the Ramban, Rashi, the Arachayim, the Radak, they're all important. But didn't Hashem leave the door open for heretics and deniers to say, you see, the Torah is written by more than one God. It doesn't say, I will make. It says, we will make. Didn't HaKadosh Baruch Hu take an enormous risk when he suggested that the Torah was uh, written by more than one person? So, I want to share with you one more interpretation. And that is of the Zohar. The Zohar has a magnificent interpretation. And the Zohar says, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, Na'ase Adam, this was the risk he took. It was worth taking. Do you know to whom he was talking? Na'ase Adam, the Zohar says, he was talking to man himself. The man he was about to create. And he was saying, he was talking to each and every one of us, to you and to me. And he was saying, let us together make you. Adam. I'll start. I'll bring you into this world. I'll give you your personality and your predispositions. And I'll make you pregnant with potential. But you need to partner with me. You need to finish what I started. You need to make yourself. Adam says the Zohar, Hashem says you're going to be different than angels. Angels are perfect and they're holy. Angels have no temptation, no desire. You're also going to be different than animals. Animals only have instinct and intuition. Animals only follow their impulse. You are going to be somewhere in between. You're going to have an animal soul, a nefesh, but you're also going to have a neshama. You're also going to have a godly soul. And as such, you'll have something neither animals nor angels have. You'll have a little something called free will. Animals, impulse instinct. Angels have no bechira because they have no challenge. You human being, na'ase adam b'tzalmenu. Come. It's as if HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Almighty puts his arm around us and invites us and says, come, join me in making you. I'll start, you be my partner. It's such an important and critical lesson that we have to realize that we shouldn't be passive or fatalistic or a spectator to our own lives, but to get in the game, to be active, to shape and to mold the reality of who we are and the lives that we live and the differences that we want to make. Not just e'ese, but na'ase. One more question. Why does Hashem say na'ase adam? Why didn't He say nivra adam? Let us create nivra Milasham bara breshes bara elokim. Wouldn't that be a more appropriate verb? That's the verb we've already used. Bara. Why does it say? Why does it say nasa um, instead of nivra? So the Zohar says it's not a coincidence. The word nasa is used to invite us to be a partner in creating. What is it an allusion to? When you hear the word nasa, what does it immediately evoke? What does it draw? 
The answer is, when we stood at the base of Harsinai, and we were ready to accept the challenge to better ourselves, to live our best lives, to fulfill our mission and why we're here, we accepted the invitation of Na'ase Adam by pronouncing Na'ase Venishma. How are we best positioned to partner with Him? How do we fulfill this responsibility to make and complete ourselves? We answer Na'ase Adam by saying Na'ase Venishma. Our script is written in the language of Torah, but we are the actors on the stage. We have free will and we make choices and we determine who we are and we determine who we're going to be. Na'ase Adam, beautiful interpretations. The Radak, Rashi, the Ramban, the Arachayim, but I love the Zohar. Hashem puts His arm around us and says, Na'ase, come be with me. It's an invitation, Na'ase Adam, because creates us in His image. Let's move on in the Parsha from the story of creation, culminating in the story of creation of man, to the story of the act of first murder, Cain and Hevel. Perak Beis, Pasuk Chav Gimel. We have this conflict. Sorry, before we get to that. Before we get to that. Perak Beis, Pasuk Chav Gimel. I'm just deciding, very little time left. Vayamra Adam, Zosapam etzame atzamayu basamib sorry lazos yikari isha. We have one, Kirsh Baruch, who recognizes it's not good for man to be alone. Man alone is a taker. Man partnered becomes a giver. So Hashem says, He passes all the animals before God, before man. Man says, no, nah, not for me, not for me, not for me. He gives one each a name, which means he understands its essence. He gives them a description. Not for me, not for me. Then God fashions the side he takes out of him. He gives women, doesn't say Vayivra again. It says Vayivan, God built woman from man when he divided the androgynous figure in two. It does not say Vayivra, he created. It says Vayivan, he built. Women are endowed with a Bina Yisera. And what's man's reaction to the surgery he just underwent, where he's now cut in two? He's an organ donor. He's more than an organ donor, he's a human donor. He donates half himself to create another gender. Vayomer Adam, man says, Zosapam, this time, it is bone of my bone and flesh of my plus, flesh. This will be called woman, for from man she was taken. What do you mean, Vayomer Adam? Why do we have a reference here to man speaking? Vayomer Adam. So listen to the Rav. Says Rabbi Soloveitchik, the community can only be born through an act of communication. After gazing at each other in silence and defiance, the two individuals involved in a unique encounter begin to communicate with each other. Out of the mist of muteness, the miraculous word rises and shines forth. Adam suddenly begins to talk. He addresses himself to Chava, and with his opening remark, two fenced-in and isolated human existences open up, and they both ecstat- ecstatically break through to each other. The word is a paradoxical instrument of communication and contains an inner contradiction. On the one hand, the word is the medium of expressing agreement and concurrence, of reaching mutual understanding, organizing cooperative effort, and uniting action. On the other hand, the word is also the means of manifesting distinctiveness, emphasizing incongruity and underlining separateness. The word brings out not only what is common in two, but the singularity and uniqueness of each existence. It emphasizes not only common problems, aspirations, and concerns, but also uniquely individual questions, cares, and anxieties that assail each person. Says the Rav, the very first connection between Adam and Chava, Chava is extracted from Adam, and Adam turns and Vayomer HaAdam, because it is word, it is communication that is the foundation of every relationship. Words unite us, words complement us, words enable us to learn or contrast with one another, words are the foundation of a relationship, and therefore, the very first connection when Adam and Chava are split in two is Vayomer HaAdam. Now the Rav doesn't say this, but you see this is also true, very sadly, in the next section. Cain and Hevel. Pasuk describes when Cain rises to kill his brother Hevel. Hevel's korban is accepted, and Cain's is not. And Cain becomes very despondent, becomes very depressed. Perak Dalad. Pasuk Ches, page 20 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Pasuk says, V'yakayim v'almincha solo sha'a, God did not accept Kayin's korban, v'yichar l'kayin ma'od v'yiplu panav, 
Kain became very depressed and his face fell. And Hashem turns to Kain and he says, What are you so sad about? Why has your face fallen? What are you so sad about? Chidush Arim, by the way, wonders, What is Hashem asking? Kain's korban was just rejected. What do you mean, what are you so sad about? You're sad because you just lost. You lost the NBA Finals. My Heat lost the Finals. My Yankees were eliminated from the playoffs. What do you mean, Lama Naf Lupanecha? Isn't the answer obvious? So the Chidush Arim says no. When Hashem was asking Lama Naf Lupanecha, He wants to know, why are you sad? Are you sad because your korban wasn't accepted? Or are you sad because your brother Hevel's was? Why are you sad? Are you sad because you didn't get an aliyah? Or you're sad because someone else got the aliyah instead? What is the source of your sadness? Because you crave to come close and you miss the spiritual opportunity? Or because someone else has it? Lama naflu panacha says the chidush arim. What Hashem was asking him is, not why are you sad, but what is the driver of your sadness? The fact that your korban was rejected or that that of your brother was accepted? In any case, what happens? Vayomer kain al Kain says to his brother, they're in the field. Kain rises and kills his brother. What happened to the Pasuk? Kain says to his brother, and they were in the field, and Kain rises and kills his brother. What did he say? And Kain said to his brother, What did he say? Never tells us what he said. So perhaps I think you can compliment the Rav's Vort. Adam and Chava launched their relationship with. Vayomer Adam, with communication, with conversation. The foundation of a relationship is the ability to communicate and to have healthy communication. So much of marriage counseling and so much of improving our already healthy marriages, going from good to great, is learning how to communicate effectively, efficiently, learning how to listen. So, Vayomer Adam, that was the beginning of the relationship of Adam and Chava, and that was the end of the relationship of Cain and Hevel. Vayomer Kain el Hevel, Achiv, what did he say? We never know, they didn't communicate effectively. Vayomer, he meant to say something, he wanted to say something, but he didn't know how. He didn't have the words, he didn't know how to express himself, and instead he turns to violence. The very first act of murder, the very first act of violence. The failure of communication is what undermines the future of the world, it is the failure of our, of our existence. All right, there's a lot more to talk about, Sefer Bracious, Kain and Hevel, Ayeka, Hashem's call, Ayeka, which Hashem continues to call out to us, each and every generation. If we don't answer the Eich Ayeka, the Rav says it turns into a Eicha. We have the story of, um, of uh, the continuity of man, Zesefer told us Adam, but my voice is lost, and we are out of time, so please God, we'll pick up with it next time. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy. Special behind the beam of tonight, Tuesday night this week, instead of tomorrow night, our guest is uh, Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro with millions of followers online. We're not going to talk politics. We're going to go behind the bima about his life and background. Join us 9 o'clock tonight for Behind the Bima. Have a wonderful day.